The teetering economies of Europe and unrest in the Mideast have dominated the headlines of late, but Americans would be unwise to neglect the major developments taking place to the south of us, in Mexico, the third largest U.S. trading power ahead of Germany and Japan. Mexico's significance to the United States reaches far beyond that of drug cartels or cross-border issues. Our relationship with this country could even provide a hedge against oil vulnerability in the Middle East. Mexico just recently returned the presidency to the party that ruled the country for over 70 years, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, under President-elect Enrique Peña Nieto. Here to discuss Mexico's future and why it matters for the U.S. is Manuel Suarez Meyer. He's an economist at American University's School of International Service and helped shape the North American Free Trade Agreement. Also joining us is Eric Olson. He's associate director of the Mexico Institute at the Wilson International Center for Scholars. Manuel, what's the United States-Mexico relationship right now in terms of economics, diplomacy, uh, what's the state of play as both the United States and Mexico looks toward the end of the year and a change in administration? It's a very complicated relationship, a very intertwined relationship in which we have all sorts of things going on all the time. But I would say that the levels of cooperation have never been as good as you see them today. We have glossed over our historical problems, let's say, and um, forged ahead into working together in many areas. Mexico is the second largest buyer of U.S. goods, way ahead of China. The U.S. buys more from China than from Mexico, but not, not that much. But Mexico buys far more from the U.S. than China does. Has 12 years in the presidential residence of the PAN carried Mexico somewhere new so that the PRI shouldn't be assumed to just go back to the way it ran the country for much of the 20th century. Uh, I would say not only the last 12 years, but the last uh, 18 years. The, the, the last pre-president before Peña Nieto very much uh, wrapped up many of the political changes that were necessary to have free and fair elections. And now you have governors who have real power, unlike the past in which they didn't. Uh, you have a Congress that has real power, you have a Supreme Court and a court system that has independent, autonomous, real power. So the pre-government cannot go back to the good old times in which everything was centralized and all the threads of power went directly to the hands of the president. That Mexico is gone. I think Peña Nieto has, first of all, to define himself as a leader of the party and the, the government, and then move on to really define an ideology for the pre well, let's smoke them out a little bit. You can't talk about the PRI for long without talking about Pemex because the PRI is the, the father of the nationalization of the Mexican oil business. And Peña Nieto has tiptoed around exactly what he wants to do in this very crucial sector of the economy. What does it look like? I think he definitely will follow more or less the model set up by Brazil. You retain control of the majority of the shares of the company, but you open it for investment, which is the only way in which you, you will get the necessary technology to dig deeper in the seabed to do shale and other forms of uh, extraction. Mexico is, by the way, we have the third largest reserves of shale oil in the world. Eric Olson, is he going to have to be really careful? You know, I, th I don't think a lot of Americans realize that election speeches in Mexico uh, often have applause lines about oil. 
it's not just an oil company, is it? Yeah, I think that's a really important point for Americans to understand. When you talk about oil in Mexico, you're not just talking about crude coming out of the ground. You're talking about national identity. You're talking about people's sense of this is ours as a country and this is our future. I liken it a little bit to Americans' relationship to guns. Manuel, uh, right after the election, Peña wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that laid out his priorities. He named one of them as major reduction in poverty. Is this something he can pull off without a much healthier United States? Well, yes, I think it can be done. Our economic cycles in Mexico and the U.S. are very close, particularly the manufacturing cycle. But nevertheless, Mexico needs to grow much faster in order to generate employment and to allow the population at the bottom to rise up. The other issue is that you need a fiscal reform because Mexico is collecting only about 12% of GDP in taxes. The government spends around 20% of GDP. That has to change. Eric, can he do it? I think he can. I mean, there are a few things that people don't realize much about Mexico. One is that it is an increasingly middle-class country. The question is, there's still a very large sector of the economy that's considered the informal sector. But really, close to 40% of the workforce is in that informal sector. What does that mean? Those are the people that are selling oranges on the corner. Those are the people that are crowded around the metro entrances selling uh, cheap clothing, cheap electronics. And one of the things he's trying to do is extend to them certain social benefits. They don't have access to health insurance, better education, better food. And the thinking is that by doing that, you may be able to move a bigger sector of that population into the formal economy. They'll pay taxes then. But there's reasons to be optimistic, frankly. President Calderon was recently here in Washington, and he said, Mexico is now graduating more engineers than Germany. And that's quite a stunning statement. Well, immigration has certainly been an issue between the United States and Mexico. But Mexican immigration to the U.S. has reached a point that people are calling net zero. What does net zero mean, and why does reaching that point uh, constitute a milestone in in the recent history of this issue? Well, it's a very interesting phenomenon, because I don't think we've seen that uh, before. But net zero means roughly equal amount of people returning to Mexico that are going to the United States, either legally or without documentation. So it's roughly even. What does that tell you? Well, in part, it tells you that there's been an economic downturn in the United States. A lot of people lost their jobs. But it also tells you that there are reasons for people to be hopeful and want to stay in Mexico. Along with uh, discussing economics, we have to talk about security. One of the top issues talked about by the candidates in the just-completed elections was the future of this struggle against the drug cartels uh, really taken to the narco-traffickers by the departing President Felipe Calderón. How will a pre-administration fight that war differently? He's assured the country that he will continue that fight, but perhaps not in the same way. So what happens now? Well, it's interesting. The polling on this is is quite revealing. Uh, Really about 80% of those polls say they agree that the next president should continue this frontal assault on organized crime. If you ask them, 
are they winning the war? Is it going well? The, the numbers come down considerably into the 40%. Now, one of the interesting and subtle things that uh, Enrique Peña Nieto, the, the president-elect, has said is that he wants to focus efforts on the most violent crimes, crimes such as extortion, kidnapping, because that's what Mexicans feel most directly. That's what terrorizes them. And he wants to really focus in on these local crime issues. And where we've seen that happened, there has been a dramatic decline in violence. Ciudad Juarez over the last year has seen a 70% decline in its homicide rate. You know, I've been there recently. It's the only place in the world I've been where they're actually glad that they're having traffic jams again because people are returning. I think that's his strategy more specifically. Manuel? If you consider that in the last six years, 60,000 Mexicans have died. It's roughly the same number of Americans that died in Vietnam. Remember the uproar that was created in this country because of Vietnam. The same is being felt in Mexico. People are outraged. The violence has to be the priority of the Peña Nieto administration. You must come here to Washington and ask the U.S. government, how is it possible that the U.S., which has the largest, the highest value added in the drug trade, there's no violence? What are you doing that we are not doing? Let's work together to figure out what you are doing, how to apply it to our case to eliminate the violence. I don't think we will ever eliminate the demand for drugs unless we do something radical on that side of things. That means that we have to figure out other ways to deal with all this trade. Manuel Suarez Meyer is an economist at American University's School of International Service. Eric Olson is associate director of the Mexico Institute at the Wilson International Center for Scholars. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Mexico Looking Forward on America Abroad. Visit us on the web at americaabroad.org to sign up for our monthly podcast and to hear our past programs. You can also follow us on Facebook or send us a tweet at America underscore abroad. Mexico Looking Forward was produced by Alisa Barba, Jennifer Collins, Frank Contreras, Michelle Marisco, A.C. Valdez, and Jonathan Zinger. Special thanks to Fronteras, the Changing America Desk, a public radio collaboration in the Southwest that covers border and immigration issues. Steve Martin is our Director of Broadcasting and Station Relations. Four Piece Suit composed our theme music. I'm Ray Suarez. This is America Abroad from Public Radio International. PRI, Public Radio International.